Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Let's, let's begin in prayer, and then we're going to be looking at Numbers 25 and 26, and, and we literally are going to be looking at a lot of numbers today. I've noticed several already paying attention to the handout. I hope you brought your pencils today, pencils sharpened and ready to fill in those blanks on our, on our math assignment. But let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather today to make much of you. And, and so as we, as we look forward to the time in your word, God, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear as we look forward to uh, singing together and, and um, sitting under the preached word. God, we, we come expectant, ready to, desiring to see you glorified, made much of. Would you be our focus today? Would, would we delight in singing your praises? Would we leave here better worshipers of you in light of what we learn? Would we be obedient to what we hear? Um, may you use this time to conform us into the image of Christ. We're so thankful for our church family, and so I just pray that, that this Lord's Day would just be a day that continues to be just a highlight of our week as we gather with our church family. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Numbers 25 and 26 will be the focus, but as has been our habit on several occasions in Numbers, we'll just begin with a few reminders from 1 Corinthians 10. really serves really each week in our study in Numbers, but 1 Corinthians 10, if you're turning there, that's great, but you don't have to. Verses 6 through 8, as the Apostle Paul is writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 10, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So in listing, and we'll see some listed in the next few verses, as Paul speaks to events that took place in Numbers, we're reminded that these events, uh, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So then in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 10, it says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. So, there in verse 8, Paul is, is speaking directly to the events that we'll read about in Numbers 25. So he, he's calling us to learn from the example of the Israelites. Do not be like those who indulged in sexual immorality and were judged accordingly. As um, he lists these that were struck in a single day. So then moving down to verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Well, as we jump into chapter 25, we will see both this immorality and idolatry 
as examples on display by the Israelites and their examples that we are to learn from that we might not desire evil as they did, that we would learn from their example and um, guard against these things, these temptations. Um, so we see Israel as this bad example, and it's interesting because even just this last week, we were reading of all these blessings of, of uh, Israel. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from one of the commentaries I was reading, a guy, Ian Duguid. He, he says the following, just kind of in, in where our minds have been in the last couple chapters, just thinking of Balaam's prophecy about Israel and God's blessing upon Israel. And so he just lists some of what we read. He said, for several chapters now, we've been on this mountain uh, with Balaam surveying Israel, like this mountaintop experience for Israel. That's what he's referring to in a way. Mountain heights with Balaam surveying Israel from a distance and hearing about how blessed they are. So really that is what we've seen in the last couple chapters, how blessed Israel is. In, in Balaam's oracle, there, there are people that dwell alone. They're not counting themselves among the nations. They see neither misfortune nor misery because the Lord is with them. So that Israel is said by Balaam that the Lord is with them. They don't know misfortune nor misery. No sorcery or, div uh, or divination would succeed against them as we saw on display. Uh, for the Lord had blessed them. Uh, the Lord was not going to change his mind about the blessing upon Israel. And out of this chosen nation, the glorious messianic king would rise to bring salvation for his people in judgment on all of God's enemies. I mean, these are all the, the blessings that we have seen in regards to Israel. And so you're thinking, wow, what a, what a great faithful nation. And so then we descend then into chapter 25 to this harsh reality about Israel, this harsh reality of, of the defiled people of God in, in the valley below as we read Numbers 25. So it's abrupt and it uh, really catches our attention quickly, but it's actually not all that surprising. What we've seen, this cycle of rebellion since chapter 10, just Israel and their rebellion. And so this final rebellion really ends up sealing the deal on this older generation, this, this first generation that will not enter into the promised land. And so it's going to be the judgment in light of this rebellion that takes place in 25 that really wipes out the rest of the older generation that will not enter in. So it's really a monumental event um, as, as they're all wiped away. Then as we jump into chapter 26, there's now a need to again take a census of this second generation, and there's going to be a variety of reasons why a census is needed. Uh, and so we'll, we'll explore that as we get into chapter 26. But let's begin then in chapter 25, and, and we'll read through the whole chapter. Uh, my plan would be to, to read through all of chapter 25, and then to, to read sections of chapter 26 as a group. But then you'll notice that as individuals, we're all going to have to read carefully Unless you have a study Bible, I actually got to just say, don't, I was a little disappointed. I, I put this little task together for us to like note the numbers in the second census. And then even just this morning, I opened up a, um, a study Bible on my desk to look at something. And I noticed that this chart is already done for you in this study Bible. And so 
I'd encourage you not to use that because there's so many times where the study Bible is so helpful, but, but you can look at a passage and see a number and write the number down. So let's do the numbers on our own without benefiting from, from the study notes uh, that are so helpful. But anyway, that's for later. Let's, let's start in Numbers chapter 25. I'll read, and, and I think what we'll do is, is, is read the first five verses before we make any observations or comments. So, Numbers 25. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you, Kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. So, my goodness, just as we begin in verse 1, to see the activity that is taking on, uh, that is going on in the camp amongst the Israelites with pagans. So, you begin in verse 1. Here they, they live in Shittim. The people began, they committed uh, profanity by, by fornication here. As we're reading of this aggressive language to even describe what is going on. But in fact, sexual immorality is, is clearly what is on display. That's how Paul would even describe it in what we were just reading in 1 Corinthians 10. And so you read of this sexual immorality that is going on with the daughters of Moab. And so look at, look at even verse 2 to see what is taking place as, as these the men of Israel began to engage in this sexual sin with the daughters of Moab, then you read in verse two that these, these women, these daughters of Moab, they're, they're like calling out, you know, inviting them to join in in their pagan worship. And so these, it says in verse two, these invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. Well, here's something interesting just to note. I was reading, this is actually the first mention in our Bible of, of Baal. When you're reading in the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible is the, the, first, the first time you even read of this, this false god, this idol, this Baal. But as, as we read here, what, what are the sins that you read about in verses 1 through 3a? If you're thinking like 10 commandments, Exodus 20, what are you, what are you reading here in these verses? You're not going adultery. Right. So I have no other gods. Very good. Very good. So if you're even thinking, we're starting with the first commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And so that's what, that's what this invitation is by these daughters of Moab. They're, they're calling them, inviting them to engage in this idolatrous worship, to uh, sacrifice to their gods, to eat and bow down um, to these false gods, to... to um, 
feast and then to uh, bow down to these false gods. So, so the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is violated. And then also is listed, verse 14 of Exodus 20, to think of the seventh command, you shall not commit adultery. And so you see the Israelites breaking the, the, these commands and the right consequence for such sinful acts is death. And so they've sinned against God, they've committed idolatry, they've committed immorality, and it, these are very, um, just the, the sinful, the, the public willing sin is just egregious. And so you'll read of many strong verbs even in these five verses. I was just kind of marking down, just look how, look how strong the language is here. Even just to begin in verse one, to, um, to whore with the daughters of Moab. I think if you have the New American Standard, to play the harlot adultery, uh, as, as we keep listing. So you have these, um, these women inviting, come worship with us. You see uh, they ate, they bowed down. Israel yoked himself to Baal. Then you see that the anger of the Lord was kindled against what they had done. Then you see within the instruction from the Lord to Moses, take, hang them, uh, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And then Moses' instruction, in light of what God has commanded of him, you see Moses' command of the people, kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. So just in these, in these first five verses, we see this sinful act, and you see this severe but necessary response by God um, to, to kill all responsible. Just any, any comments or observations that you make just as we look at these first five verses? Yeah, Jim. It was, it was when he says that he was, they were uh, uh, playing the harlot, it was more than just the physical. They had abandoned God. It was a wholesale abandonment of what God had told them to do. And it may seem like to some people like, wow, God's pretty harsh. You know, for doing this kind of stuff. But they agreed to this. He didn't force them to do this. They agreed to this map at the mountain to follow God. Yes, right. To see this, this uh, connection between both the, the idolatry and the immorality, both um, connecting this uh, adultery, spiritual and physical adultery to God. Yes. Yeah, I, I was just saying, like this, is like goes to like Hosea, right? The, the 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 prophet Hosea, he, um, you know, was uh, he he married, you know, a, a, a prostitute. He did, and and then, uh, but but God used him, you know, to um, uh, to show what that's uh, what what the idolatry is like. And uh, and and so like yeah I think you, when when you said I, I uh, uh, physical and spiritual adultery like that's uh, right right that is yeah yeah so then you you see I mean we you don't even really need three B to to know what the Lord thinks of what has taken place but but it, it strikes at us just to recognize but the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So uh, you just see the offense against God and in his wrath, this right response of righteous anger in light of the adultery that has taken place. And so the anger 
the Lord has kindled, and so there will be consequences for this sin, and the consequences for sin is death. And so he, he commands uh, Moses to take uh, and then hang in the sun before the Lord um, in order that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel, you see, in, in verse 4. Well, I am going to have uh, potentially more comments about these, these first verses, but let's go ahead and, and move into um, this next section. Because now we're going to look, zoom in at this specific act of, uh, of sin. So then in verse 6 you read, And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So you're seeing what is characterized, this pattern that's going on in, uh, amongst the people in the camp. They have committed this, this the, the adultery, idolatry, and then you zoom in on this specific act, even as, uh, as the Lord's anger has been kindled and that they're instructed that, that those who have sinned must die. And, and then you see this individual, this man of Israel, who is willingly and publicly comfortable with sinning in this egregious way in the eyes of God, as all acts are, but also in the public sight of, of the people. So you're seeing it's within the sight of Moses, it's within the sight of the whole congregation that he commits this act. And it's interesting over, over the other chapters in Numbers, we've seen this, or even where it looked like maybe, well, what's the big deal here? You know, a, a Sabbath violation, but it was this Sabbath violation that was done in public, you know, like defiance against God, communicating, I know what God has said, and I'm indifferent to what God has said, so I'm just going to go and do what I want to do. And um, no fear of God in such an act. Well, it's the same thing here with, with this individual who's very much comfortable, even as the same, he's well aware that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel in light of this idolatry and adultery. And yet he's going to go and do likewise. He's indifferent to God. He is, he's, there's no fear of God in his, um, in his life and so you see him sin in this, this, this horrendous way. And so you see the zeal, though, of Phineas on display in these verses. Because enters in Phineas the priest, verse 7, When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And so you see him take care of the situation by killing both this Israelite and the Midianite woman, killing them in the midst of their sinful act. He has them killed by piercing them through with this spear. And what is the result of Phineas's act? The plague stops. The plague stops. So we're even, um, we're, we're given an awareness that, uh, that uh, in light of 
what has taken place. God has judged the people. Um, there was a plague upon the people in light of what happened. And ultimately 24,000 are going to die because of this plague. But it's Phineas's act that, that stops the plague. Verse 8b, thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So then, let's keep going then into uh, verse 10. We're going to need to summarize what we've been reading here in just a few minutes, but let's, let's just continue. God, God's verdict is already kind of hinted at at the end of 8 when it says that uh, the plague on the people was stopped. You kind of recognize, okay, God has approved of what Phineas has done because Phineas acted in this aggressive way. Uh, he's zealous for God's honor. And so he has these two killed and... Um, and so you recognize if the plague ended, clearly God approved of what Phineas did. But now we're going to be told specifically of God's approval as we jump into verse 10. So keep following along. Verse 10, and the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So it's interesting. Um, Phineas is this faithful, God-fearing man. In fact, let's just real quick look at a couple passages just to, to learn more about Phineas. I guess I should even say, um, I think this would be just fun in a way to know, my great-grandfather, now I know that there's another Phineas that you wouldn't want to be associated with in the scriptures, but my great-grandfather, uh, his name was Phineas Douglas Link. And uh, I absolutely have always not liked my middle name. And so growing up, there's always this threat from my parents that, well, we could have named you Phineas. And, uh, you know, so just be fine with your middle name was the point. But, but every time, if you start reading Numbers 25, you know, you're like, man, name me Phineas. But uh, yeah, so anyway, Phineas here, uh, you read about him in a variety of places in the scripture, but I'll just turn back to, to Exodus just to kind of see his, his heritage. In, in Exodus chapter 6, Exodus 6.25, uh, we are told that Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. And these are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. So Phineas, son of Eleazar, and um, his, his mother, uh, his wife was one of the daughters of Putiel. So one of the daughters of Putiel was his mother. Well, then you're looking at, at Numbers 25. Just scroll, go over to the right just a bit. Go over to chapter 31 just to kind of see the honor that follows Phineas in light of this zeal for God's honor. So, so go over to Numbers chapter 31. We're going to be here in just a couple weeks in Numbers 31, so I don't need to say all. And in fact, we're going to be back in Numbers 31 in just a couple minutes because it's, it's fascinating to see uh, another revelation given in, in Numbers 31. But um, Numbers 31, verses 6 through 8, Moses sent them 
to the war. Okay, so pause for a second. We're about to read chapter 26. That's one of the basis for this census that's gonna be given in 26 because they're gonna go to battle against the Midianites. And so they need to take a census of all of the men who are 20 years and older in order to go into this battle. Well, here in verse six of Numbers 31, it says, and Moses sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand, they warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain. Um, oh, and then just jump down. I'm gonna skip over those names uh, and just read. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. We read at the, at the very end of verse eight. So he's this faithful priest. If we were to go on in the scriptures, you read of him leading well, both in Joshua and in Judges. He's he's gonna serve as a faithful priest because he loves the Lord, has a zeal for the Lord's honor. And you see it on display here in, in his decisive and aggressive action that he takes in light of this public sin that, uh, that is on display. He will have nothing to do with this public sin. And so he eliminates the, uh, he has both killed uh, as he um, plunges this spear through both of them. Okay, so his act, it's not, you know, it's not always that common to see a priest killing. The people often, you know, they're the, these shepherds of the, the people, but it's not, it's not the only place that this has happened. I mean, even if you think back in, in Numbers, um, well, well, in Exodus 32, you see the Levites as the, as the tools for killing. In fact, turn there, Exodus 32. Exodus 32, 32:27. after the golden calf incident. Exodus 32, 27, and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Well, so that's Exodus 32, and then you'll remember just a few weeks back when we were in Numbers 16, you see um, in, in like manner, not killing individuals, but you see the priests interceding on behalf of God and staying, you know, God's judgment. Um, so in, in, that, in light of their act, God's judgment um, he, he re- is ended. Same thing here in, in, in Numbers 25. This plague is going on amongst the people and Phineas's act stops the plague we're told at the end of verse nine. And it's interesting to read then of the 24,000 that are killed in this plague, and really it's gonna coincide as we'll see at the very end of Numbers 26. This plague really kind of wipes out all of those that still remain that, um, that were to be um, killed. They were not going to enter into, into the promised land. And so that all the remaining of the older generation are gonna be those who, who die by this plague that we read of in verse nine. Those who died by the plague were 24,000. Um, and you'll see specific names uh, in 26 that rem- remind us that Moses, Joshua, Caleb, they, they're, they're still alive at the end of, of 26. But okay, so Phineas, now he is this, this faithful priest. 
Um, I think we can go ahead and continue. Unless there are there any comments at this point? Yes. It strikes me. I well, maybe this. This didn't appear out of nowhere. I go back to when they rejected Moses. You know, they questioned him as They never got that fixed, and so there's the first opportunity to get out of line like this. And it seems like there's also a, a pivot point where for the established person because the Persia has went down this road from rejecting Moses to um, idolatry mm. with these women. And so Phineas seems like a pivot point to change. So we definitely don't want those people in the land of Israel because they're going to ruin God's uh, no, very good comments. And even just to begin with, like this really does strike you that in a way, I mean, it's, it's aggressive, but it's also, it's not surprising. And, and it's been leading this way in light of just their, their, their rebellion, in light of their indifference to God's commands, in light of their refusal to accept God's appointed men. So yeah, yeah very good. Yes. It's important to remember how seriously God takes all this. In the New Testament, we're told not to yoke ourselves with unbelievers. Well, here we have it in Israel that was doing this thing. And a little further down in Numbers 31, they come back after killing all the men and bring all these women. And what have you done? These are the same women that you already committed adultery with. And then he further instructed them to kill all these women. And... Mm -hmm. um, God still takes this very seriously mm -hmm. and he is merciful to us but this is a terrible thing for us to be impure mm. so even with that if you're trying to think what, what do we apply from Phineas's zeal for the Lord's honor because you know, we're not in this theocracy we, if we were you know because I think there would be those who maybe would um uh, carry out some act of like maybe even this is this is a pretty aggressive example but you know like someone who would had bombed an abortion clinic and then they would see themselves as doing like a righteous act right and they're viewing themselves as like this is zeal for god but we're not in this theocracy we're not phineas as a priest in a theocracy but my goodness we um so so that would be wrong to to take some act in, in our own hands in that way but then when we can look at Phineas would be like, well, we, man, absolutely. How, how can our zeal for God's honor be on display in the life of the church, spiritual things like church discipline? We don't just, we're not indifferent to sin. We don't overlook sin and just allow unrepentant sin to continue in the life of the church. It's the same in our own lives. When, when, when God's honor is, is being challenged, we, our, our response is to be a zealous for God's glory, to act the way that God would act, to act in such a way that, um, you know, uh, the anger of the Lord was kindled because of this. And so it ought to kindle anger in us as well to see God's name being defiled, profane. Right to ourselves first. I mean, it, we, we can't go there. We, we can't put our hearts there. Mm -hmm. God wants us to be pure. Yes, Jim. Just like to point out that it's really important that it was the leaders of these people 
that God wanted to kill first because they were leading Israel into sin in, in verse 2 yeah. and 3. And the guy that did this was also a leader. And the person he sinned with was the daughter of a leader. And all through Israel's history, the leaders kept leading the people into sin. And what was it Jesus said, you know, for someone to uh, not only do what's wrong, but to teach others to do so. It's a very grievous thing. That's right. Right. Yes. And they, this is a specific commandment that Phineas, that the leaders were told, they're told to kill the meats. I mean, it's in, what, verse, uh, verse 5? Kill these people. And apparently they missed one. Phineas mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. didn't just take it on himself to do this. I mean, he's a leader, and he went out and he finished the job. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's part of what I think we can say. You know, how do we respond? We're supposed to obey what His commandments. Very good. Not take it upon ourselves to do something. If anything was obeying the commandments. Mm -hmm. So many good comments today. Yes, let's let's continue. Just uh, the goal in mind of walking through the next chapter as well. Verse fourteen. So. Well, here's the deal. The reason you even see in your outline when I say the names of the Simeonite and the Midianite caught in public sin are, are given. Like it just, just reminds us this public example was made of those who committed this public sin. And so, so you're seeing even the, the names uh, of these two. The name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. So this is to Jim's point of these, these influential, both uh, this Israelite and this Midianite, they were from um, tribes of, of influence, leaders. And so continuing then in verse 16, um, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and strike them down for they have harassed you with their wiles with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. And so the Lord has instructed Moses what to do. They are going to go and they're going to wreak havoc on the Midianites. They're going to go to war with the Midianites, harass the Midianites. As was spoken before, I forget who mentioned this, but that, you know, this influence from, um, you're not to yoke yourself with these pagans. And so in order to not be influenced by them any longer, we're, go wipe them out. And more specifics about who is to be wiped out is given later in Numbers. But anyway, they are to wipe out the Midianites. And the reason for it is because of what has taken place. Because harass them because they harassed you with their wiles. Um, they beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby. Um, question, real quick, just this whole thing that took place. If you go back to verse 1 and you see the Israelites behaving wickedly, the people uh, committing uh, sexual sin with the daughters of Moab and these daughters of Moab inviting them to join in in this pagan worship. Where, where did this plot begin? Who, whose idea was this? Uh, what was that? Bailey, this is fascinating. Like I, maybe you were already mindful of this. I was not until thinking through this. But if, we're, um, if you end in chapter 24, you almost think, you know, Balaam's given his prophecies and he, he's, he's done um, 
Sorry, I'm in the wrong book of the Bible here. I, but in Numbers 24, just look how it, it ends. When, then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. And so then you read of the Israelites behaving wickedly in 25. We'll turn over to chapter 31. Um, chapter 31, in the midst of this, this war, this battle, we were just reading of Phineas' role in leading in, in this battle. But then in verse 16, it says, in fact, I think I'll go ahead and start in 15. Moses said to them, have you let all the women live? And verse 16 said, behold, these, um, so these, these women that, that tempted Israelites into sin were to be killed. Uh, Moses is saying, what are they still doing? Verse 16, behold, these on Balaam's advice caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Uh, so I was even reading a, a sermon um, from Ligon Duncan. He so he, he's a little bit of creativity here in this, but I think it's so helpful to, to think through what, what this might have looked like. So Balak's design to get this famous seer, Balaam, uh, to come and to place a curse on Israel, it didn't work, right? That's what we saw last week. Uh, it had utterly failed. Israel was unfazed, says Luke Duncan. And then, in fact, Balaam had pronounced that Israel was blessed of God. Then here's what he suggests. Listen to this. But before he left... He suggested one idea to Balak. Balak, let me suggest that you send some ritual prostitutes into Israel and approach the men of Israel and invite them to come and feast with you at your feast for the Baal of Peor and by that corrupt Israel to apostasy. So just kind of an interesting paraphrase there to think of, of what you're reading there in verse 16 of 31, when it says, upon Balaam's advice, he caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. Balaam brought this out. Okay, I, all I could do was prophesy blessing, but uh, send, send these pagan prostitutes in um, and they, they will engage in this sin, sinfulness and this sinfulness will bring upon judgment from God for, the, for their sin. So just fascinating to think of, of Balaam's role in this. So, so chapter 25 ends then um, with a call to arms that they're going to go to war with the Midianites. And so then Numbers 26 just makes sense. We need this census to be taken. It's a, there's multi-faceted purposes behind having this census taken, but one of them is just military census. They need to know how many men they have to go into battle. Uh, if we were to be able to read through the whole chapter, you'd see in verses 52 through 56 that the census is also going to be helpful to determine the size of each of the tribes in order to then determine the size of the land that is allotted to each of the tribes as they go into the, the land. So land distribution and military both um, are, are reasons for this census being taken. Let me just read verses one through four. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel from 20 years old and upward by their father's houses, all in Israel who were able to go to war. And Moses and Eleazar the priests spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses. And the people of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were, and then he begins with Reuben. So, so just real quick, I don't want to, you know, 
lose sight of uh, just real focus here on, on God's glory on display and, and what we've been reading about. And then just to see God's faithfulness on display in this census that is taken and even to be reminded of sin throughout this list of numbers in this census. There's also lessons that are given. So, um, so God's faithfulness has been on display in spite of the faithless efforts of, of so many that, that tried to thwart God's plan. So as you read through 26, you read of in verses 9 through 11, you're, you're reminded of Dathan and Abiram. Uh, verse 61 of this census, you're reminded of the sinful acts of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, even just looking at numbers 26, 64, and 65, you're just reminded of of the entire old, older generation, um, 64 and 65 says, but among these, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb, the son of Jephuna and Joshua, the son of Nun. So when you're thinking of this census that's in chapter one, that is taken by Moses, not one of them is listed in in this census that was just given in chapter 26. Um, Not one of them was left except Caleb and and Joshua. So so the census that Moses and Aaron took in chapter one, it's kind of in a way I was thinking, well, this is On the right side of my chart, it says change. You know, we're going to see how the numbers change in each of these. But realize everything changed because every single person listed is different than what was listed in in, in chapter one. But just real quick, let's let's fill in these blanks just because, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was curious, is there any indication of how much time like between the two sons? Oh, close to 40 years, right? So you're probably like 38 plus years. Plenty of young men, 20 years and older. Right, right. It's a really good question. Um, okay, so, so chapter one, we read of, of Reuben. There's, there's 46,500. Numbers 26, what do we got? 43,730. And so we got a difference of 2770. Um, so it, let, there, there's fewer Reubenites. Not, not really, you know, some drastic change here. In fact, I'll walk through it faster. We're not trying to play like bingo or anything here, but um, uh, you're going to notice inconsequential changes for the most part. It is going to be interesting to notice one drastic change of numbers, and it's this next one. So in chapter one, we read in the census of the 59,300 in, in the tribe of Simeon. So then in this second census in chapter 26, what do you read of? 22,200. 22, I mean, that is, that, is, that is the largest deficit of any of, of these tribes that you read about. And so, in fact, I, I have 37,100 fewer Simeonites. Gad, in chapter 1, you read of 45,650. Now you read of 40,500, correct? Judah, um, the largest... In both lists, there are 74,600 back in chapter 1 in the, of the older generation. Now how many? 76,500. So there, there's an increase of 1,900 from Judah. Issachar, 54,400 back in chapter 1 in that first census. This first sentence, census at Sinai. Now, um, now here you read of... 
64,300. Zebulun, 57,400 back in chapter 1. Anybody? 60,500 in 26. Manasseh, 32,200 in chapter 1. 52,700 here. Ephraim, 40,500 now 32,500. Thank, thank you. I didn't mean to jump in. Yeah, feel free to call these out. Benjamin, 35,400 back in chapter 1. Now 45,600. Dan, 62,700 back in chapter 1. They've increased to 64,400. Asher, 41,300 back in chapter 1. Uh, for, uh, my penmanship is bad. 41,500 um, back in chapter 1. Now there's 53,400. Naphtali, 53,400 were listed in the first census. 45,400 were listed here. Ch- change of 8,000. So here's what's significant. Back in chapter 1, the total of the census was 603,550. So the total that is even given here for us in chapter 26 is, is what? 601,730. 601,730. Difference of 1820, 1,820 fewer. Uh, just think of God's faithfulness that's on display because think of the consequences of sin. Many have died in light of their sin and then they've been promised that they were not going to enter into the land because of their rebellion. And yet God is still faithful in light of his promises. And so you find Almost the exact same. If you think of, if these are the men that are 20 years and older that can go into battle, you read of 603,000 in chapter one. So between women and children, there was probably 2 million Israelites. And so here again, we're we're thinking of close to 2 million Israelites. If if there are 601,730 men 20 years and older that can go into battle. So God indeed has been faithful to his, his promises. Yes, Rick. You know, I'm, I'm recalling that later on, uh, David took a census. And when David took a census, God said, you're going to be punished. The difference is, am I making too much out of it? But the, what we read was, and, Mo- and God commanded Moses to take a census. So it kind of, my theory is, God looked at the heart of David, and that's what he judged him for. Not mm-hmm. not necessarily the actual action of the census, because here, God told Moses to take a census. Yeah. But, so it's, um, it's, it's a hard issue. Is it obedience, right. or is it pride, which was David's mm-hmm. situation? Yeah, so it's easy to hear, say it was obedience, right? So yeah, and so you're right, there was a heart issue and so here, there's, there's obedience to God's commands. Moses and Eleazar do as the Lord said to Moses. And so then, let's just go to the end of, after the census is given, um, verses 52 through 56 describe one of the other purposes for the census to determine how the, the land would be allotted. Um, numbers for uh, the Levites are given in 57 through 62. Uh, 23,000 listed here, and there was 22,000 listed back in Numbers chapter 3. 
So uh, reason for decline. Oh, I, I did say that we might talk about that. So probably Numbers 25. So if you're thinking of, um, of this Israelite who was a Simeonite, who, who did this sinful public act. Um, so, so the rebellion of Korah. And that as well. So um, they were in, so they're just, when you're thinking of those that are wiped out though, specifically in a chapter 25, and you're seeing the, the Simeonite's involvement in that sin. Joseph, or excuse me, uh, Jacob had also, when he cursed them, he cursed Simeon and Levi, and he said that Simeon would be dispersed yeah. amongst mm. the tribes. They don't even get an allotment in Joshua. They, get, they got to share, share their space with Judah. So mm. that's, I think that's the root of it. Is yeah. All the way back to that is the anger that he had and the stuff that Simeon displayed when he, he went in and killed all those people when they break Dinah. Uh, he gets a curse laid on him. So good. I think that's, I think we're seeing it happen. Very good. Great comments. Just a good grasp on Old Testament history here. Um, Let's, let's finish off then. Verses 63 to 65. These were those listed by Moses and Eleazar the priest who listed the people in Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. But among these, there was not one of those listed by Moses and Aaron the priest who had listed the people of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall die in the wilderness. Not one of them was left except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We just praise you now for your faithfulness on display, the call even from the Apostle Paul to us and the new covenant believers to, to learn from the examples of, of what we read in the Old Testament. And so as we read of these events in Numbers, God, may we be zealous for your honor. May we guard against temptation towards idolatry, immorality, God, may our lives be lived out for your glory. And so use this time in your word to cultivate that in our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.